Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. To start this one off, I'm going to have kind of a sad story, and uh, I'm going to share the information that I have here about a particular spider, and I've been trying to figure out how to go about it because it was one of these deals that I honestly am kind of shocked that this is happening. It's not something I would have thought of happening, and it's it just got, has me rethinking some aspects of the hobby. So anyway, a f- a full disclosure, just a little background. I, as I've alluded to before, I, I grew up on a farm, and it was kind of like a hobby farm. We had a lot of animals. We worked just like we had a regular farm. My dad was a mailman by trade, but he had relatives that were farmers. We bought 21 acres in the town that we lived in and basically had goats, sheep, rabbits, chickens, cows, you name it, we had it. And, and anyway, one of the things that came out of working on the farm was obviously the fact that animals are commodities. There was We did a lot of breeding. That's one of the things you do. If you have a farm, you breed your animals. The animals are sold off, sometimes for meat, occasionally for pets, and being a huge animal lover that was always something I had a hard time with and I remember particularly some of the the more you know affecting moments of working with animals and farming is like when you take the babies away from the mothers and I remember like we take the babies away from the mother goats the babies would cry the mothers would cry for a while but the mothers would get over it rather quickly and that was always that that gave me solace that they like you know they'd cry for a little while and next thing you know it they were out eating hay drinking you know eating grass, eating brush, playing with the other goats, you know, they, they got over it quickly, but it, it always kind of bothered me. So, you know, th- th- when I got into tarantulas, it was never with, it. I never wanted it to be something that was a business or that was making money off them, off the bat. That was like something that I had a very hard time with. And that's one of the reasons I shied away from breeding for a bit, because it's like, all right, you breed them, then what do you do? You sell them. And I've, I've gotten over it a bit. I recognize the importance of breeding in the hobby. I obviously absolutely adore the hobby in the U.S., as I've alluded to many times. We don't do enough breeding to sustain the demand for tarantulas over here. So what we end up with is importing a lot of them. And if anything should ever disrupt that pipeline, we're we're in some trouble. So I, I've always worried about that. And that's one of the reasons I'm trying to do more breeding. But again, with keeping a huge collection of 200 and something tarantulas and scorpions and whatnot and trying to do the breeding thing on the side, it can get difficult. So I haven't been very prolific with it. Plus, there comes down. It came down to the point where one of the issues I've had with the breeding is pulling the sacks. So a lot of people ask whether you pull the sacks, whether you leave them with them. Some people leave these sacks with the spiders. Some people pull the sacks out before the spiders hatch so that they have a better chance to keep track of them, make sure nothing bad happens to them. Like there's been cases of the females depositing the sack in a water dish, which eventually leads to mold and the slings, you know, dying. So there's. I get the idea of pulling the sack. I have pulled the sack a couple times, and a couple times I've left it with the female. So anyway, this one is about my Ophilopinus, as everybody knows, or anybody that's followed the podcast on my channel knows, it was one of my favorite species, and I was proud to breed them in July of 2019. Uh, to the, September 2019, my girl had a sack, and then, you know, a little ways down the road, the slings finally hatch, and we were able to get some captive-bred Ophilopinus slings out there. They went through Fear Not Tarantulas, and I know a lot of folks that have picked them up have contacted me like, hey, I have some of your slings I'm really excited about, which was awesome. But one of the stories I didn't get into a lot, which had a profound effect on me, and now in retrospect, even makes me feel more terrible, is there came down to the point where I was trying to figure out whether or not I was going to pull the egg sack 
or leave it with the mother. Now, the issue is when I bred this Ophilopinus, I had just put her in, in, a bio, in a bioactive enclosure. Had I known I was going to be pairing her, I would not have put her in the bioactive. I would have put her in something more Spartan that allowed me to be able to monitor things and probably keep the sack with her. But because of the fact she was in a bioactive enclosure, I was concerned with the fact that if these if the spiderlings hatched in that environment with all of that debris, the cork bark, the plants, the... The leaf litter, there was so much for little slings to hide behind and make it difficult to wrangle up those little slings. And I didn't want a situation where I left the sack with the female and then I like was trying to pull slings out and miss some and had some escape and get into the transfer room where they'd probably be devoured by the house spiders I have in there. I have many spiders that keep down when I get gnats or anything. I leave the spiders in my room because they help with pest control. But I didn't want a situation like that. So after a lot of thought, a lot of deliberation, I decided that I would pull the sack. So the day came, Billy wasn't home. We didn't record it because I, I, I don't know, part of me and call me weird. It, it just feels, it, it's, it's a situation I didn't really want to record. I've had to pull a sack a couple times before and it's just, I feel badly about it, very badly about it because the females will defend the sack. They will latch onto that sack. They will not let it go. And in the case of my Ophilopinus female, she really fought me. She did not want to give up the sack. She had dug her fangs in would not let it go, had basically wrapped herself around it. It was a, I had a terrible, terrible time trying to get it away from, to the point where I almost just left it with her. And I was like, I can't, I've already done that, but we've gone this far. I've got to get the thing out. So we eventually, I managed to wrestle it away from her by basically holding her back with the end of a paintbrush while I kind of tore the sack away and took the sack out. And after this happened, I took the, the sack away. We cut it open. We found the eggs with legs, you know, yay. We had all the babies, it was going to be a good sack. I'm very excited with that. But then I watched her. And what happened was she immediately looked distressed. She was trying to grab up some of the webbing that was around where the sack was. She had laid down some webbing and the end had kind of webbed up an area in the corner. And she was almost like making a little sack out of that and carrying it around. And she took a while to finally seem to get over it more longer than... Longer than you notice with a lot of mammals, honestly. And I don't know if part of that's just instinct. I mean, I don't know how much of it's like true motherly love. We won't get into that or how much of it's just instinct that they have the sack, they need to protect it and something happened to it and they can't get out of that mode. I don't know what it was, but she took quite a while. Now, the issue was she, when she had the sack, she stopped eating early on. She had the sack. She was very, very thin and she carried it for quite some time. So it was a several month long period that she hadn't eaten and I was desperately trying to fatten her up. So finally I dropped a cricket in one day. She pounced on it. I was like, yes, this is awesome. Dropped another cricket in a few days later. Then I look into her enclosure at one point. I drop a cricket in. Next day I come, the cricket's running around. I'm like, this isn't a good sign. She really needed the fatten up. She had to eat lots of crickets, quite frankly. And so I got the flashlight, looked into her hide, and she had laid another sack. Now, I hadn't heard anything about tarantulas double clutching before. I'm not positive. I ask around. I don't believe they double clutch. I haven't heard about this species double clutching. Perhaps they do. But anyway, I figured... My thought process at this point was she was obviously upset over losing the sack. She, if carrying this sack would bring her some comfort, then great. Maybe she'd just get over it. Get over, A lot of times what will happen is they have a phantom sack, they carry it for a little bit, and then they end up devouring it. So I'm like, worst case scenario, she gets sick of carrying it, realizes it's not, you know, a viable sack or whatever and eats it and then she'll be fine and I can fatten her up on crickets again. The concern was when she made the sack, she was so darn thin to begin with, I was terrified that she was going to be in really bad shape if she carried this for any amount of time. So fast forward several months, she's, I'm dropping crickets in and hoping she's eating. I thought the crickets were disappearing. I'm like, okay, as long as she's eating, who cares if she carries the sack, if it makes her feel better. 
The other day I go in, I drop in some, this was uh, two weeks ago, a uh, week ago. I drop in a few crickets, nice big fat ones. We got a big thing. I put some big ones in there. I'm like, I'm going to load her up. And I thought I saw her scrambling for them in her hide. I'm like, great, she's eating. Three days later, I go to do some maintenance and I notice a dead cricket in the front. So I'm like, that's not good. So I pull the cage out, open it up and smell, obviously, death. Now, it's not quite going where you think it is yet. So I do some poking around, find several other dead crickets. She wasn't eating them. They were dying and they were getting taken down and basically rotting in the in enclosure. And it became apparent that she probably hadn't been eating much at all, if anything. I mean, there was quite a few of them in there, some new ones, some older husks that were underneath kind of the debris in there. So I shined a flashlight inside the burrow and it looked like she was still hugging the egg sac. So I'm like, all right, I, I'm, what am I going to do here? I'm going to have to probably pull this thing from her again, but then she's just going to go ahead and lay another one. What's going to happen? So I gave her some space. I put it on the shelf and I'm like, I'll wait till Billy's here and we'll go and open this thing up and see what's going on. So two days later, I look in, she's in almost the exact same position she was before. And then I start to worry. I kind of blow into one of the things you can do is you kind of blow in. Usually at least they'll move and they register that the breezes come in. They move a little bit and you can tell they're alive. And it's like, whoo, well, I blew and she didn't buzz, not at all. And so then I took a paintbrush and kind of poked the edge of the burrow. She didn't move at all. And upon closer inspection with the flashlight, I realized that she had actually abandoned her sack. The sack was sitting over to her side and she was not looking to be in a very healthy pose. I wouldn't say it's not a full death curl, but some of her back legs were kind of curled in at an awkward angle. It didn't look good. So I took some a spray bottle again and just kind of sprayed around kind of in the in her burrow a bit, not spraying directly out of her, but kind of spraying around her. No motion whatsoever. So then I go into panic mode. So we start whipping out the pieces of cork bark and she barely moves. She is not in good shape at all. The egg sac is there. And I'm like, all right, what do we do now? So I'm thinking at this point, she is ridiculously shriveled. And I do have video of some of this. I'm going to have to re-narrate it because I was not very happy when we were shooting it. And I really didn't want to be, <laughs> it wasn't, it was a very depressing video because as we went through it, I'm sitting here commenting on what's going on. Not, not for camera, not to put up on YouTube. It was just my gut reactions. It was rough to watch. And her abdomen was incredibly shriveled. It looked like she had some type of growth on it. It was malformed. She, I don't think she had drank a lot since she had been in there. She obviously had eaten next to nothing because she literally, it almost looked like a mature male that size of the abdomen. She was holding her abdomen kind of up in the air in a weird way. Her legs, her back legs were kind of curled in. She didn't seem to have any power. So I'm like, all right, here we go. But we got to do something about this. So I set up the ICU. And I know we've talked a lot about the ICU lately. And I do feel like they're, they're important if you have a tarantula that's dehydrated. That's where it's going to, you know, you're going to see some results normally because if a tarantula is dehydrated and you put them on wet paper towels and put a water dish underneath them, then if, if that was the problem, they're obviously going to be able to drink. They're going to, they can drink out of the paper towels. They can drink out of the water dish. And what you'll see is them slowly come back to life as they start to get more hydrated. So my thought was maybe she was, I have not seen her come out of that den in months. And I was worried she wasn't coming out and getting anything to drink. When I would wet down her enclosure, I'd make sure some would run into her den a bit. So hopefully she could squat down, get a drink there. But anyway, we took her out. We put her in the ICU. It's been now four days, and shes I don't think she's going to make it. It's not looking good at all. She's barely responsive now. It's to the point where the only thing keeping me from euthanizer is the fact that I just had this other situation with the Arboricola where it actually came back. So I'm praying that maybe she will come back. But 
not looking good at all. And really bummed about this one because obviously not only one of my favorite species, but one of my favorite spiders, one of my early old worlds that I got, a beautiful girl, one that I actually did not intend on breeding when I did. And now we have a situation where from what I've observed, and again, this is what happens with a hobby. We don't, a lot of it is guesswork. A lot of it is just trying to figure out what happened. But from what it seems like to me, sadly, is she never got over the sack being taken away. So she created another sack. She guarded the sack just like she would have guarded the other one, except she re, it seemed to restart her period where she would hold it. So if she had already, you know, if she was going to hold the sack for a month, she was holding it for a month, but it just kept going and going and going. She didn't stop with the sack. Now, the really depressing part of the whole thing, at least as far as I'm concerned, is after we got her out and situated in the ICU, we pulled the sack. I wanted to open it up and see, you know, what was inside. Is it rotten eggs? Is it eggs at all? Are they, you know, I didn't think they were going to be viable eggs at this point. She had obviously dropped the sack. But anyway, I was just curious to what it was. So we carefully took a pair of scissors, opened them up. I looked it up and the first thing I saw was just black. And I'm like, all right, they were all rotten. Well, then I opened it up further and realized that what she had done is she didn't lay another clutch of eggs. She had basically taken a bunch of the substrate webbed it up like it was an egg sack and was carrying as an egg sack. So the entire inside of the sack, there was nothing organic in there. It was all just substrate, which struck me as so sad because it's like, here she is carrying around her fake babies that don't even exist and probably will die as a result of this. So again, I (laughs) warned you guys ahead of time, this would be kind of a downer, but I feel like I have to share it because it's something I've always had some concern with as far as raising spiders because I've seen the behavior before I saw it with my Hapolobus species Columbia large after I took her egg sac away she had behavior for a little while but it only lasted about a week and then she started eating again the weird thing is with the Ophilopinus I sent I just had this in this hunch that something was wrong early on just the way she fought me for it the fact that she didn't give up the sack that quickly the fact that she tried to make a new sack right after the fact her you know obviously later on going in full-blown making a sack out of substrate which I didn't know was substrate at the time but seeing her carry that around again and kind of pretend like she was carrying another brand new sack of eggs it really I don't know it just I was worried I was worried from the beginning I was worried as more time went on and then obviously this is the way it turned out so I'm not sure what I would have done differently I'm thinking in retrospect had I left the sack with her she could have gone through the entire process naturally so she would have raised the sack the babies would have come out they probably would have stayed around her for a little while I'm not sure if this is one of the species that will actually help feed the babies or if that once they're out they're done and they let the babies go wander off I don't know but the fact is, had she been in a different enclosure, a more Spartan enclosure, like one of my sterilite bins or something, I probably would have, there's no probably, I would have left the sack with her. I didn't feel I could do it with the bioactive enclosure, and so I ended up taking it away, and I can't help but think that was part of the problem. So this was partially my fault. So uh, the good part that came out of it is she reproduced. She has a bunch of babies up there. I just got an e- out there. I've just received an email from somebody the other day talking about how the baby's doing. It's growing up. It's looking great. And I know I kept... A few of her babies as well, which is a good thing because at one point I was like, what am I going to do with four Ophilopinus? Well, now hopefully we get at least one female out of that group to replace her because I do not think she's going to make it. So this just kind of, it, it stinks because 
it's something I've always worried about, and I do have a terrible time. I do not like, I know it's just part of the hobby, especially people that breed. Sometimes you pull the sacks. You get them in something that you can't keep them in, you're going to pull the sack. And I get that. And that's, you got to look at kind of the greater good at that point. If you're getting those babies out there, you're keeping the, the spider in the hobby. You're making sure that there are captive bred specimens for sale. But then the other part of me is like, in a way, this is kind of a pet for me. It's something I, I adore, and I don't want to see something bad happen. I especially don't want to do something that causes something bad to happen. So again, will I stop breeding? No. Has this given me, you know, a lot to think about as far as whether or not I want to breed if I have a spider in an enclosure that I don't feel like I can keep the egg sack in? Well, there's definitely going to be more thought in the future to make sure that if there's a female I'm going to breed and if she's not currently in an enclosure that is conducive to keeping the sack, then I will probably move her. I would not take this chance again because again, I just, I hadn't put her in that enclosure that long ago. It was looking nice. It was one of my bioactives. I really didn't want to pluck her out, rehouse her, try to do the pairing. That's the other thing is I would have been disrupting the female before trying to do the pairing, which could interfere with her being receptive to the pairing if she's still getting used to her new surroundings. I don't know what I, you know, honestly, I, I look back at it. I'm glad I bred her, but this was one of those things I've worried about. And then to see this play out, I've never, I'd, I'd be curious to hear if anybody else has seen anything like this, where the spider, you pulled the sack and the mommy, unfortunately, stays in mommy mode and creates another one and continues to care for it the same way she would with the other sack. I don't know. Has anybody seen this before? Because it's new to me. It's something I've always worried about and it actually happened. So that's that's the story of my Ophilopinus female. And she was, it should be mentioned, she's an older female. So this could be one of those deals where she's been mature for quite a few years. It could be one of those deals that she was just too old at that point, I, I guess. I'm sure that's probably a thing where they get a little bit older. It's one of the reasons why I will never breed the queen, my G. Porteri, because she is very, very old and I don't want to put any stress on her body. And it is stressful because they have to carry the babies in, you know, create the eggs in them, lay the sacks, and then the good mothers basically guard over those sacks until the babies come out. And a lot of times they will not eat. They don't seem to drink. They just guard the sack. They get very, you know, they start to waste away. So it could be something that she was an older female and the double quote unquote double pregnancy or whatever really kind of messed her up. I don't know. It just really stinks because this is one that I couldn't wait to get back to normal, have her see her going around her enclosure again. And instead I'm likely to be burying her before the week's out. So I will obviously keep folks updated. I'll be curious to hear anybody else out there that has tried breeding before. If you've seen this, I will tell you that it has given me a lot to think about as far as breeding. I'm going to continue to breeding. Don't get me breed. Don't get me wrong, but I've already, and this is already something it's funny because after breeding her, I had a couple more that I was planning on breeding and I purposely put them into enclosures that would allow me to keep the sacks with them. So I, it did get me thinking in terms of, all right, I'm not going to put something in this huge fancy enclosure with plants and openings that I can't possibly cover up because that's the other thing. She was in one of those extra Terra 12 by 12 by 12s and the vents under the door could be an issue. The areas around the door, there's little gaps there. They get out. There were too many places for little babies to get out of should they decide to scatter. So it just, it wasn't a good enclosure for them. So now I had other ones I was going to put into those. I ended up putting them into acrylic enclosures that are very simple. I can easily, you can tape gauze over top of any of the ventilation holes to allow some air to get through, but to keep babies from getting out. And they can be basically sling proof so that I can keep the babies with them. Cause I don't think I'm pulling a sack again. We'll see how it goes. But I left the sack with my Carabina Versa color and she did perfectly fine with them and had no problem starting to eat again after. Afterwards, so we're not going to take the chance. I don't want to ever have a situation like this again because, quite frankly, it really bummed me out. So 
There is the sad story of my Ophilpinus. I'll update if there's anything to update. I will be doing a video of this one. I've already got some footage, but it's just kind of painful to look at. I don't like recording my spiders when they're sick because I really don't want to relive that and watch it over again. I had one where I was recording my, it was my Theraphosostermi after a molt, and I was so excited about her molting. She was huge afterwards, and then she got sick, and I had footage of her getting sick, and next thing you know what, I come in there and she was dead, and it was about, I never posted the footage. I ended up destroying or deleting the footage because I'm like, I don't ever want to see this again. It was just too much of a bummer. So in this case, though, maybe when people ask me, should I keep the sack with them? Should I not keep the sack with them? This will help lead them into one way or the other. I'm going to be leaving the sack with moms most likely from now on, and we'll see how it goes. I know a lot of people do it, and they have great success with it. It's a little more difficult to wrangle up all the slings, but it can be done. So there is my story about the Ophilipinus. Now for the next topic, uh, interesting, well, not one I, I haven't really addressed before, but somebody got me thinking a little more differently. I had an email exchange with somebody and I mentioned the fact that I was getting a lot of mails lately. And I was like, yeah, I was really bummed out because I was getting a lot of mails. And this person like lit into me for not quote unquote loving my males or the fact that males don't get any love from the hobby and it's pretty pathetic that we treat the females with such respect and everybody wants a female but nobody wants the poor males and it just turned into kind of a bizarre conversation but it did get me thinking a bit about the whole male issue I don't think it's very complicated to understand but I I was trying to explain to this woman that just because we're disappointed when we get a mail doesn't mean that we hate the mails. It isn't like, oh, mail, and I throw it outside or I throw it in the garbage or I stick it in the freezer or something like that. It's just the fact that anybody that has raised tarantulas, the you want a female. And in case you're brand new to the hobby, this is something that they don't tell you about. And I know I wasn't aware of when I first got into the hobby, but a story I've told before is one of the second tarantula I ever bought, I bought at a reptile convention and it was in the Fonapelma Simani. A nice, I picked up a nice large specimen because I was too lazy to wait for a sling to grow up and it ended up being a mature male. So I got about a year out of it before it ended up passing away. It wasn't eating. It wasn't, it was wandering around. I thought my enclosure was wrong. I had no idea I had purchased a male. So just to fill people in that may be going, well, what's the difference? Males do not live anywhere near as long as the females. That's the biggest difference. So if you're keeping a spider, imagine if you bought a dog. And imagine if the female dogs lived up to 12 years and the male dogs lived about two. I think that helps put it in perspective for people why folks could be disappointed with getting a male. When you get a pet, you want it to be around for a while. A lot of us get into tarantulas, and one of the perks of tarantulas is the fact that they do live longer than your average pet. They Most of them, will out, most species will outlive dogs. Some will outlive cats. I have people ask me why I don't keep more true spiders, and my answer is usually because I've been spoiled by the lifespans of tarantulas. I, I want a pet that's going to be around more than just a year or so. Like I, I, That's a big perk for me. Not that I love true spiders. I'll continue to get some, but it's like you raise them up and then they're dead. And that like bothers me. I like the fact that tarantulas are around for a while. That's a big perk. And so when you find out that it depends on the sex, whether or not you're going to have your tarantula for 20 something years or for five or six years, that can be a big factor for a lot of people. And so I get the idea, like this one was like, I'd like to go out and buy all the males because I feel like they're all mistreated and nobody cares about them. It's not that we don't care about them. I have a bunch of males right now. I have, like, for example, I'll use my Grandma Stole Poker Bees mail that I gave out to a buddy and a breeding load. And I, I told them when I got, I love this guy. Like, I didn't even want to send him out the breeding because I was afraid something was going to happen to him. I would have been very happy to keep him until the day he died because I was very attached to him. I had had him for a long time. I didn't want to get rid of him. So there was no, it isn't like I don't like the males, but 
Can we be disappointed? Should we be disappointed when we find out that the animal that we have isn't going to live, say, 20 years? It's only going to live five years? Yeah, when you get a mature male, when you end up with a mature male, that's it for them. They have officially hit like old age because if you're not aware, what they will do at that point is usually wander around and try to find a female to breed with. So they're very antsy. They will roam around their enclosures. Some, I've had some that never eat again. I have some that'll eat here and there, but most of their time is spent trying to go out and find a female to pair with. And it's a very sad existence for the males that live a little bit longer. Some of them you can get a couple years after them. I know I had a Theraphosis Sturmy male that lived quite a while after he molted and his, he had his ultimate molt, his final molt. And that one did quite well for a while, but he also wandered around all the time. And when he finally got to the end, it was, it was rough. His legs were his, basically the hairs had rubbed off most of his exoskeleton near the joints. And even on his carapace, it was like black showing through his back legs. He lost two of his black back legs. They just basically fell off of him. He was in rough shape at the end. So it's dual fold that you have an animal that you've spent a lot of time with. And now, you know, there is a, their life is coming to an end sooner than later. And if you decide to keep them and don't send them out to breed, you get to watch that breakdown and it's pitiful. It's sad to see. Now, if you send them out to breed, they always run the chance that they're going to be devoured by the female because that's another thing. I had somebody that told me they had raised up, I I, I want to say it was Brachypelma hammeri, a male. I, I think it was hammeri. It might have been a different species, but they had raised up this male for quite some time. It was one of the slower growing ones. So they had had it for a while. And they were like, I was going to keep him, but I really wanted him to go out and do his thing. And basically the person that he sent him to to breed was going to live stream it so he could watch the pairing with him. And basically the female ran out, munched the male. That was it. It was dead. All that work. And the guy's like, I, I know it's natural. I know it happens, but it was heartbreaking. So I really don't think it's those of us in the hobby hate males or don't like males or dislike, ah, you're male, you're disposable, because that was kind of the impression I was getting from this woman is that she seemed to think people treated them as disposable. It's not that at all, but there is... there is some disappointment when you get one. I think that's totally natural. When you get in, again, the best comparison I can give you is if male dogs live two years and the females live 12, would you be disappointed? And then obviously you can tell very early on whether or not you have a male or a female. That's the other thing with spiders you don't know, especially if people aren't good at sexing, then you have no idea sometimes until all of a sudden a male pops out. So it's a little different, but I think that's the way you kind of have to look at it. That's where the disappointment comes from. I know a lot of people that actually love their males and some send them out. Some of them choose not to and keep them and they live great lives until the day they die. I just think it's disappointing from a fact that, you know, or from a standpoint that they're not going to live as long as you hope. Sometimes the males don't get the colorations of the females. Sometimes the males get even better colorations. I do have to point out with some species, like for example, Formictopus or Pamphibedius or Zensthus, they, the males are absolutely stunning. Like they, they far, although Formictopus, the females can have the colorations too, but for some of the Pampos and Zenthesis and some of the, I guess some of the Formictopus, like for example, Cancerides, the males are this beautiful pink purple. That's kind of a bonus. So yeah, you don't have as long with it, but boy, do you get some beautiful footage and photos in the time you have them after they mature. So there are some species that people even don't mind if they get a male because they're going to be gorgeous. So I, I, I've seen this notion, this idea pop up a couple times back when I was like on the face groups, Facebook groups and stuff. And I always thought it was kind of silly. Like I never weighed into that stuff, but to have, to be at the end of the, you know, to be the one receiving the criticism for be the one that somebody's telling, you know, you don't respect your male. No, I, I do. It's just like, right. My big thing lately and where this came from is the fact that I went years 
with getting, having great luck with getting mostly females years. And then all of a sudden it's like my luck completely changed. And the majority of what I've been getting lately is males. Even some species that was pretty convinced were females turn out to be males. And as I mentioned in the last podcast, which I think surprised a couple of people, I'm not huge into sexing them quickly. I think when you're looking to breed them, you're a little more attuned to like, all right, what do I got here? Do I need a male? Do I need a female? I'm not really worried about it. I just kind of watch what comes. Some of them, I'll get out of molt, and if I get a good intact molt, I'll go through just for practice to check out the molt. But a lot of them, I, I get ripped up molts, or I don't get the, the molts are in the dens. I don't get to see them, and I'm just like, whatever. Whatever I get, I get. But I think that's what happened as I was commenting on the fact that I had received so many mature males lately, and it was kind of a bummer, and it turned into this thing. So I think we ended, it ended amicably enough where I think she understood my point that I wasn't going there, but she was still didn't understand. Her theory was everybody should just be happy no matter what they have that they have a healthy spider. And uh, although I think that's awesome, I just don't think it's realistic for, you know, you could have, again, it, I've had males, like, for example, what was the one that, uh, I think it was Darlingi, C. Darlingi, that matured out in well less than a year. It was like, I, I didn't even get a chance to know him. It was just next thing I know, he had his little boxing gloves and he didn't eat much after that. And he didn't last all that long. So it was kind of a bummer. So no, I'm not going to feel guilty about feeling, you know, sad. And as a guy, it's like, you know, I, I'm just definitely going to give love to my guy spiders. It's just, it you don't get it. You don't have them as long. It is kind of a disappointment for many of us in the hobby. So I figured that was something I'd cover because it's popped up quite a bit. And this is the first time that I've ended up in the end of that. I don't think, I'd hate to think there are people out there that are treating the males as disposable. I will say that in the years over of talking to people that have males that are trying to find females from them, they're very attached to them. The general consensus is usually, I love this little guy. I just feel bad he's running around his cage and I want him to fulfill his life's goal and to get a female. And most of them are like, if you call them up and tell them, you know, hey, by the way, your guy bred, but unfortunately got much, they're munched. They're upset. They're not happy about it. They're not like, oh, good. At least I'm, I can get rid of him and get a female now. They're upset about it. So I really don't think think it's that they don't like the female, the males. It's more of just the disappointment in knowing that you're not going to have your spider for a long, that long or as long as a female. And the sad truth of watching your spider just kind of crawl around looking for a lady and eventually die. It's it's not fun to watch for anybody that's done it. So anyway, figured that would be an interesting one to cover only because it's come up so often. And now if anybody asks me again, I can just play it, you know, give them this podcast and go, hey, just listen to this. It it kind of sums up what I feel about it. So hopefully this will help people, you know, explain to people in the future that it's not that we don't, we, we don't hate the males. We don't hate them. We love our males. We absolutely love our males so much that we feel badly when they turn out to be a male because we just really want more time with them. Okay, and now moving off to what will be the last topic, and just kind of an addendum to my recent podcast where I talked a bit about my thoughts on communal enclosures. I just have to share this because, again, as, as I've joked about in the past, sometimes this is where I just get to you know talk about things. I feel like I'm talking to people, and I get to talk about things that sometimes frustrate me. And sometimes I just need to share things. I mean, Billy gets to hear it all the time, and sometimes you guys get to hear it too. So anyway, obviously, I just did the podcast on communals. And the fact that, you know, you really need to be informed before you try to start one. The fact that there's rules to different ones. The fact that many of them, quite frankly, they don't live together communally as so much as they just tolerate each other. I thought I did a pretty good job of covering some of the bases on that. Again, I didn't go into species by species, and I'd have to re-listen to it to see if this species was covered. But this week I received an email from somebody and I'm only sharing it here because it, it, the person didn't listen, didn't seem to like what I was saying and it blew up. So I, I honestly don't care at this point, but I just, I, I, it illustrates a point sometimes that 
we jump the gun a bit when we get into the hobby. I think we see things out there that look cool. We see species that we're dying to keep. We see communals and we aren't really at a point to where we have the knowledge base and the skill base to really approach that stuff correctly. So anyway, I got an email from a guy. Hey, I just wanted to uh, run something by you. I have an H gigas, about a five inch female. I'm adding in two, two inch specimens with her. What size enclosure should I use for this communal? So I was like, did I read this correctly? We're starting with an adult female and we're dropping in a couple juveniles, which Apparently, just going to be feeding time. So again, when when people email, I, I it's never a judgmental thing. It's never oh god. My first thought is somebody he read somewhere about somebody having an H gigas communal and went, I want one of these too, and just didn't do his research, which it, it bothers me sometimes. It bothers me a lot when people don't bother doing any research on something. However, that's what I'm there for. That's what I open to have the email while people why people can comment on my videos. I try to help out. So I came back when like I was trying to be polite and I was like, hey, just. So you know, although people do have had some success keeping these guys communally, they are known to be rather territorial if given too much space. Also, the people that have success with them generally start with slings that came from the same sack and they never separate them. Those that don't generally have friction and experience some cannibalism. I definitely wouldn't drop in two inch specimens with a established five inch specimen. She's just probably going to immediately eat them. It's not going to work out. And I said, I actually did a podcast on this recently. If you'd like to listen to the podcast, I do think I talk about this species a little bit and I talk about some of the rules and, and things you have to consider before you set one up. Let me know if you need any more help. The response back, yes, I heard your podcast. That's what got me thinking about doing one of these and making me want to set up a communal. I was stunned. Like I'm, I'm staring at like, oh no, because this is something I put that podcast out there specifically to try to give people a bit of a heads up of things they need to consider, especially the fact that there is the potential for cannibalism, the fact that even the best ones, sometimes something goes wrong, that you can't just take these communal species and drop them in willy-nilly. You can't put different sizes in for most of them. I mean, about four, you can kind of set aside. They're kind of, they're one of the true captive communal species out there. But other ones, even the NNCs, the Gigas, the Metalkas, there's rules behind them. And that's what I was trying to convey in that in the hopes that anybody interested in them would hear that and go, oh, I'd better do some research. And somehow through that, it inspired somebody to set one up with a species that I thought I made it pretty clear. You've got some pretty strict rules as far as creating a successful communal. So I had to, I was going to go back and listen to the podcast again. I'm like, did I say something wrong? I'm like, no, nah, we'll just handle this as it is. So I tried to explain, listen, there, this is one of these species that you have to start with slings that haven't been separated. The people that have had the best luck start with slings that came from the same sack that weren't separated. You got to keep them kind of close together so they don't form their own territories because if they form their own territories, you know, I did the whole thing, went out and he's like, yeah, I understand that. But if they should be communal, it should work out with a bigger one anyway. Right. So it didn't go well from there. I mean, again, it wasn't contentious, but it's just like I'm, I'm done. Like I, I have nothing else to say with this, but it just blows my mind sometimes. And that's the part that scares me. And again, when you teach, you realize that there are misconceptions out there. You realize when you teach, I think you realize how you could have a room full of 10 people and you say something that you think is so clear 
and only two people actually get what you're saying or two people really connect on that wavelength where it's like, yeah, that's speaking to me. I get this. And you can have eight people that, you know, are various degrees of just not really getting where you're coming from. It's it, it really makes you focus on how different how perspectives differ and how people can hear the same piece of information. Heck, just look at our news. I mean, look at the news, especially if you live in the United States, how you can put an article out there and you can have two people get two entirely different views of what that article is trying to say. And I think that's something that I'm usually very cognizant of, but every once in a while I'm at a loss because I try to break stuff down. That's been the whole point of Thomas Big Spiders to break stuff down to a point where I'm making it as accessible to as many people as possible. But there's always going to be, unfortunately, the, the oddball person out there that just didn't get what I was saying. And I've been very fortunate that there haven't been many that usually once I realize, uh-oh, something I said was taken out of context or misconstrued that I can't get at the second attempt go, all right, we're going to take a different approach to this. Usually once I go at it again, they, oh, okay, I completely misunderstood that. We're fine. I haven't had many instances where people have just dug their heels and went, nope, I'm not listening to you. And unfortunately, this kind of ended off as one of those because he was going to try it and let me know how it went. And my thought was, I know how it's going to go. You're going to end up with one quite fat spider. But, you know, who knows? Here's one of the deals maybe it goes well. And I, I probably shouldn't even make fun. I just, I think we've already proven with this species that you can't play around with them that much. It's not like people have dropped in monocentropus balfouri, and I've heard many stories of like larger females with juveniles and they all get along fine. This isn't the M. balfouri. But who, maybe it goes well, and then we have to re-examine it. So I guess I should I should probably shut up and just keep an open mind. It's just, it it always, that's one of the things that always scares me. And I did a podcast way, way back about how things I've said have been totally misconstrued by people. Like I say one thing, and they take a totally different message away from it. And that always scares me because I never, it drives me nuts when somebody attributes something to me that wasn't something I said, especially if it's not the right information. That really kills me. And this is one of those situations where it seems like whatever he got out of that podcast, it wasn't quite what the message I I was trying to convey. So moving forward, I'll just have to try to be a little more careful with what I say and try to make sure the correct message gets across. But in this one, I, I honestly don't know how I would have said it any different. I thought it was pretty articulate. Sometimes they even like if I'm doing something that's geared toward real beginner beginners, I've actually had Billy listen to him before just as somebody that isn't as into the hobby and doesn't know all this stuff to see if it makes sense and see what kind of impression she gets out of it because I don't want to give the wrong message. Apparently, I should have done it for this one. So anyway, just wanted to share that one as a little addendum to the, the other one because, you know, it sounds like there's still work to be done to make sure that my delivery is conveying the correct message and the message I want to give. So just a fun little story there. So that will about do it for this one. A little shorter this time around, but I've been doing longer ones lately, so I figure I can get a little bit of break. I just want to, I don't ever want to get to the point where I'm just jamming in stuff to try to kill time. So this is where it ends. This is where it ends. Hopefully we'll have a longer one next week. I do have some ones like, the good thing is I have started summer vacation officially, although it looks like I'm going to be looking for a new job. It's time for a change, so I'm going to be looking to see what's out there. So that'll add a little stress doing the whole interviewing process, especially over Zoom. I actually enjoy interviewing in person. I think I'm much more effective in person than I am over digital media, but eh, we'll see how it goes. It's, it is what it is. But anyway, I will have extra time on my hands, so I'm going to try to get a bank of these podcasts done ahead of time so that I don't have the stress of having to do one every week. Sometimes that's getting that's gotten to me with the videos as well, trying to just make sure I have one done every week. And I don't ever want this to become a stressful thing. This is supposed to be my outlet and a fun thing. I have enough stress with work and everything else, so want to keep it fun. But anyway, I'll be doing more of those, so expect some longer ones in the future. As always, you can find me at tomsbigspiders.com or 
Comics Big Spiders on YouTube, although I haven't put anything up in a little while because I'm starting a bank. I got about six videos going that I'm going to bank up so I can pretty much get myself all the way through the summer. And if I do start a new job next year, it's going to mean extra time working at home. So I want to make sure that I have some things banked up so I'm not scrambling for time to get videos done. But that will do it for this one. As always, thanks so much for all of you that take the time to listen. We'll catch you all next time.